Primetime with Sean Mooney is brought to you by That's Gold with Steve Heitner. Remember the Seinfeld show? Remember Kenny Banya? He was Jerry's arch nemesis. Well, he's got a podcast, and it is really funny, and I'm going to tell you all about it during the show. However, standing by right now is the one and the only Sean Mooney. Who? Mooney, everybody's got a price for the Million Dollar Man. <laughs> After you threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. So right before I called 911, I thought she'd fallen asleep. So I nudged her, she didn't respond. I was sitting out in my front yard, and they told me that uh, she didn't make it. If they would do a movie about your life, who would you want to play your part? <laughs> Well, George Clooney, of course. <laughs> Who else could it be? You know, I think it would take probably $100,000 at least to bring us in for the Hall of Fame. Are you laughing, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. Did you just laugh, Sean? You can't You can't even show them on TV because they're so busy humping each other that you can't <laughs> even show them on TV. Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Primetime with Sean Mooney, coming off a great episode I thoroughly enjoyed, but you know I enjoy all of them. Uh, This one with Adam Copeland, better known as Edge, uh, who had a fantastic uh, ride with the WWE, a great career, really. Uh, And this is a guy that uh, started out, met uh, one of his uh, lifelong friends as a very young kid, and they end up teaming up together, making it big in the WWE. Uh, you know, Christian, and uh, what a great story. And now he is on to a whole new world. He's got a new career, and he is a certain, he is a bona fide actor. He's got uh, the acting chops. He was in Haven, and now he's in Vikings, uh, my new show. I love that show. I've been watching it for a while, and uh, he's awesome. So uh, that was a great experience talking with Adam. I, we will do that soon. And uh, one of the reasons we did want to talk is because their show, their second season, uh, the show that reeks, some, uh, reeks of awesomeness, uh, the Edge and Christian show on the WWE Network, is about to debut. It's going to debut in the middle of November, and uh, you've definitely got to check it out. One of the episodes uh, I was uh, fortunate to appear in, and we had a blast doing it. Uh, and my guest that uh, I have on this week was also a part of that shoot. Uh, but he also had a great career, so we had a lot to talk about besides the Edge and Christian show, and that is Anthony Corelli. Uh, you know who I'm talking about, Santino Morella. Uh, I, I, you know, I started watching again uh, the WWE, and and on a pretty regular basis, in uh, you know after 2005 or so, because my son really got into it, my uh, my son Kyle. And uh, he loved the WWE. And one of the characters that he really uh, loved to follow was Santino. And really, when you look at the stuff that he did, and I looked at a lot of videos, genuinely a laugh, uh, laugh riot, as we used to say when I was a kid, a laugh riot. Uh, he, he really, he's, he, his comedic timing is great. Um, not like Bobby Heenan kind of uh, comedian, but I think that he would be a great character actor. Uh, did it very well with the, the WWE. Of course, injuries uh, eventually have, have ended his career, and he's got uh, a lot happening now, but we're going to be hearing from Anthony Corelli coming up. 
Uh, in the meantime, lots to talk about. Uh, we've got another uh, watch along that's going to be happening November 11th. That is Sunday, November 11th, our second watch along for Primetime with Sean Mooney. And this is going to feature Coliseum Video Super Tape 1. Super Tape 1. And whoa, was it a super tape. And you guys voted on this. Uh, Evan Polisher put up a, a poll, and we, we had uh, you know uh, several choices. This is the one you picked. And there are some great matches on there. I know for a fact that uh, you're going to love this. And uh, you know we're going to do the same things. We, we worked out a lot of the kinks for this, and, and we learned a lot from that first one. But you're still going to be able to ask me questions throughout. You know, you're going to be able to come in, and uh, we'll have the questions coming up, and I'll answer those uh, as we're watching along. We're going to have uh, more prizes, of course. And uh, something unique this time, we're going to try it out. Now, there's a feature with Crowdcast where you can come on the screen with me, and we can interact, we can talk. And uh, I believe it was Casey Jerombeck, our producer, said, well, why can't we do play-by-play? So, you know, we're going to try and do something like that. You'll come on with me and do play-by-play. It's been a while for me, so uh, don't worry about how uh, good or bad it is. We're just going to have fun doing it. And uh, once again, that's uh, taking place Sunday, November 11th, our second live watch-along for Primetime with Sean Mooney. And it's real easy to sign up. Just go to PrimetimeMooneyLive.com. That's PrimetimeMooneyLive.com and join us. And uh, it's going to be a blast. And like I said, we, we learned a lot from the first one. This one's going to be even more fun. And we want to plan uh, to have more along the way. Okay. What do you say we get to our main event? Anthony Corelli better known as Santino Morella. Ding, ding, ding. Well, folks, uh, another great guest this week here on Primetime with Sean Mooney. Um, I have to uh, tell you a little background before I bring him in is that, uh, you know, my son, uh, Kyle, who's now 19, really got into the WWE. And uh, it was perfect timing for my guest because uh, he was – coming in and uh, really kind of took the WWE by storm in a, in a sense. And I actually got a chance to meet him. But uh, many of you know him as Santino Morella. Uh, he's Anthony Corelli. And uh, Anthony, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Oh, awesome. And it's all my pleasure. Hey, you know, uh, I know you were uh, watching a lot uh, what was going on in the 80s and 90s. So um, I'm always interested to find out what your influences early on, what really drew you to the WWF? Who were some of the personalities that you really loved to watch back then? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, my brother is three years older, so he was kind of a little, little ahead of me in terms of being turned on to wrestling. And, yeah. you know, he, he brought me in right at the time. It was um, Jimmy Superfly Snooker versus the Magnificent oh, yeah. Morocco. Uh-huh. And I remember we were watching it one time, and I guess there was a lot of blood, so they put censored across the TV screen. And... Just the <laughs> fact that it was censored, it was just blew our minds. Like this is too gory for for tel- for viewers, and <laughs> yeah. and then of course you know Hulk Hogan came along, and that's it. We were hooked. Yeah, that is funny. That but you know it's whatever you portray. Like oh my god, you know what you can't see or what you're not supposed to see is is going to draw you to it. But uh, so many great personalities back then, and uh, you know Anthony. Along the way, I meet people who. Uh, you know, grew up during that period of time. And it was really, it was a magical time for kids. It was. Uh, with professional wrestling, um, not to take away from what people enjoy today, but it really was. We talk about it as the golden era. And it, it was, there was so much more to it than 
uh, these wrestling matches because these guys were bigger than life. And I, do you remember it being that way for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we went down to Maple Leaf Gardens and mm. God, man, uh, I mean, you know, Big John Studd versus Hulk Hogan. And yeah. actually one time I went to judo class and they were doing a live event in the Etobicoke Olympium and our, our judo area was in the basement. And all of a sudden I'm walking in and I look at him, it's Ricky Steamboat. And I'm looking, what the hell's going on here? I look down the hallway, I see King Kong Bundy, Hillbilly Jim, the Haiti Kid, the Iron Sheik, Davy Boy Smith. I mean, the entire, like, every single person was iconic. Right. In my mind, I couldn't focus on practice that day. (laughs) Wow. But it was... You know, it wasn't, I mean, the wrestling was also that they didn't break kayfabe yet. So there was still that mystery, Mm -hmm. but also there wasn't digital devices and internet and you could bike ride for eight hours and you only had, you know, let's say 24 channels. So to be on one of those 24 channels, everybody knew who you were because you would, didn't take long to surf through the channels. (laughs) Now we have thousands and it seems like it's diluted. And then of course, digital content and. It's just you're bombarded with information, but when information, you know, less is more, right? Yeah, and at that time, you know, uh, cable was in its infancy, and you said there were a lot more channels at the time, but not really developed in, in, in you know, mainstream channels. And, uh, you know, Vince, you know, we know we can talk about his vision that he had, but back then uh, of getting on these stations across the country, and it was still very true that, you know, people watch the networks and these other independent stations, and he went out and actually bought time and got these programs on. And, uh, you know, they had a roster of 50, 60 superstars. And you just rattled off these names. And I know people listening went, oh, yeah, oh, co- of course, God, he was huge, you know. And they were, because there weren't, it wasn't just, you know, three. It wasn't three guys that, you know, everybody had their favorite. And it really was. It really was just a really special time. I don't know if it could ever be captured again. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I liked guys like... I like Billy Jack Haynes and Hercules yeah. Hernandez. And, you know, they, they had matches at WrestleMania. It wasn't the main event, but they were iconic. Then you had Tito Santana and Great Dammer Valentine. And that, that everyone had their own rivalry that seems to live on forever. You know, it's, yeah. it was incredible, man. Mr. Fuji, Brody Piper. And then, you know, they had the cartoons and the music videos. And it, yeah. it definitely, I don't think it can ever be replaced because the emotional content is a little bit, it's gone because of the fact that, you know, uh, Cafe has been broken. So now we watch more for, for entertainment as, yeah. as opposed to really being emotionally invested. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, Anthony, you had, you had quite a career with the WWE. I know you're still associated with them, but, uh, as far as what you were able to accomplish in the ring, uh, you know, you were a WWE, uh, intercontinental champion twice. Uh, tag team champion, United States champion. Uh, we'll talk more about Miss WrestleMania a couple of times, <laughs> but, but really, and, and a lot of people remember you, uh, for being a comical figure, but, um, it's, it's interesting when you think about your roots or where you came from. Now, of course you're, you're a Canadian, you uh, grew up in Canada. Um, but you had a very, uh, you were a very serious athlete and it wasn't necessarily that you started out on this road. At least I don't think to be a professional wrestler, um, with the martial arts, with judo. So uh, tell me a little bit about growing up in Canada and really what was your focus as a kid? Oh, man. Well, I guess I had I had two focuses as a kid. One was baseball and one was judo. Oh, and, really? And, baseball. And, and, and judo was a, an, an accident, really. I mean, I watched a few kung fu movies and a few Bruce Lee movies, and, and yeah. I just wanted to be in martial arts. And I just begged my mom to put me in martial arts. I thought my destiny was to be a ninja. 
And, uh, you know, she literally looked in the Parks and Recreations book and the, the class that fit her schedule was this judo class. And, and I remember like judo, I wanted that Kung Fu and stuff. But anyway, I went to judo and then that's it. You know, that kind of took over and it really helped my baseball because grappling just makes you so strong. And, uh, up until about the age of 14, 15, even up to 16, you know, I was doing both. And then um, I had to choose one really to, to to follow it. And my eyesight was, it was undiagnosed at the time, but my eyesight was very, was very poor. I still have keratoconus and I have to wear like hard lenses. So I started getting these longer slumps where I would hit these massive fly balls, <laughs> like straight up pop flies, not realizing it was a vision thing. So I just thought I wasn't developing uh, you know, along with the pitching. So I just, I went to judo and yeah, I did judo right through high school university. And I was on the, yeah. the national team for Canada and, you know, competed internationally a little bit. And, um, you know, during university, I also had a child, so we had to start mm-hmm. providing and, you know, an amateur athlete, you know, doesn't really make money or especially no. uh, even Olympic athletes. You know? Right. And, um, then I found a sport that, uh, you know, my entire skill set was going to be almost completely transferable. Uh, I, I wrestled in university at Concordia University in Montreal. And one of the guys on my university team, his dad was in the WWF back in the 80s. His dad was Don Koloff, who uh, wrestled in, uh, you know, first from Calgary Stampede and then right. some of the, the TV tapings in, uh, in Canada. I believe they were at Cambridge at the time. Yeah. Yeah, Jack and, Tunney in that group, yeah. Yeah, and when, once I heard that, I'm like, oh my God, I just found my my destiny. It was the most eerie feeling. I'll never forget it. Mm-hmm. And um, so then I just, you know, finished university and worked a little bit in the, in the corporate world, but I knew I was going to wrestle. So I started late. I started training at like 28 years old. Yeah, but you but when you look at it, though, um, with the, the judo, and probably you didn't realize it at the time, but uh, there's so much involved in that training. You talked about, you know, just the strength, but it also teaches you, uh, you know, how to counter and, and uh, you know, leverage is a big part of it. And, and that's a big part of MMA. And, uh, yeah. and and we'll get into it. I know with battle arts, that's kind of how you, you base a lot of, of uh, you know, that probably early on in your life that you, you learned and then uh, used different methods and how it really has changed the business today. Uh, but you probably didn't even realize it at the time, how much that, that training would help you later. Yeah. Especially the biggest thing was the, the comfort with falling. Cause you yeah. know, we flip, we flip each other, you know, hundreds of times of practice. So I had no problem falling and yeah, you were and bumping already. already been <laughs> Just up. didn't call it that. Right. Pardon me. I said bumping and you didn't even realize that, that that's exactly what you were doing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a while to build up that, that kind yeah. of toughness yeah. uh, with regards to being able to fall and, and being able to absorb it. So what did that uh, early, I mean, this is, uh, was, was serious for you. Like you said, you were a national uh, juniors champion. Um, so, uh, I mean, that was a, a big focus of yours. And really, it must have uh, uh, been an incredible period in your life. I, you, I don't know if that was, you, you know, you, you mentioned how you became a father. But at that point in life, that must have been a really a serious point of, of where you thought you were headed. Yeah, my, my, my entire life was, uh, I was kind of a, a judo prodigy, I guess, from young, you know, I was one of the youngest yeah. black belts in Canadian history. And I was fighting seniors at like 15. Uh, I actually won the Ontario senior championships at 17. And, and, uh, you know, I, I feel like my, my ultimate judo 
Yo uh, potential wasn't fully realized because of you know just having a, a child in, in university. But yeah, the 2000 Olympics—that's my whole life was geared towards the 2000 Olympics. Mm-hmm. In fact, my training partners and roommates and you know they, they were there and and uh, and I had to watch. But well, uh, I think weren't know. there some of these guys you beat that that became. Um, yeah, yeah, I beat champions? national champions all the yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, I beat the Canadian champion in the U.S. Open, and um, yeah, I, I was right there, just waiting to have my day. And then, you know, one neck injury. Uh, my first neck injury kind of started in university too. Wow. And then, you know, you have to start uh, supporting your family. Uh, so then, it just kind of boiled down to, okay, we got to get a job. <laughs> Did you wrestle also in university? Yeah, university. in high school and university, amateur yeah. wrestling, yeah. So you mean you had all this training coming in and, uh, you know, I, I guess becoming a father maybe changed that course uh, and, and uh, you would end up, I mean, you decided I got to make a living um, and then and you ended up going to Japan. How did the, the, the focus go from there and then pursuing this uh, wrestling career, which really did alter the course of your life? Yeah, there's there, there's so many of these like life defining moments. So one was yeah. meeting this guy, uh, who's you know to this day one of my friends, uh, whose father was in the WWF. Mm-hmm. He had a school in Markham, Ontario, which is just kind of around Toronto as well. Yeah. So when the time was right, it was 2002. I started training, you know, uh, for about a year, and then I had my first match in 2003 here in Ontario. And after about several matches, I'm like, this is not going to go anywhere. There's just no one seeing me, right? I got to put myself in front of the bright eyes, and especially like I'm 29 years old. So the only connection we had at the time was uh, this place called Battle Arts in Japan. And I grew up around Japanese people. Judo is a Japanese sport. Mm-hmm. And um, so I thought, you know, I could go there and kind of play off the Canadian Judo guy. And, and, it, and it did work. I went there. I lived there for a year. And I trained at this gym called Battle Arts. And what they did was they had, it was so cool at the time. Because remember Pride fighting in Japan? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they had professional wrestlers yeah. fighting MMA. Yeah, and it, was like a, had, it was shoot. Like, yeah, there was shoot uh, matches. Yeah, real fighting and Pride. Yeah. And then they had these MMA fighters that would take part in professional wrestling matches. So there was yeah. this really this blurred line between the yeah. two. And I would go there and we just trained like fighters. And it was, you know... It, it was, it, I wasn't learning a lot with regards to like WWE style wrestling, right. but I was just becoming a, a fighter. And then again, by accident, I overstayed one of my tourist visas and I was banned from Japan. Oh, so boy. after being there for a year, all of a sudden I have to reformulate, like I had a, I had an apartment and I had a, a scooter and, you know, I was, I was pretty established after a year and I was planning on being there for, you know, at least a couple more years. And that was when I had to. I went down to OVW. But, uh, so the yeah, fact but before you before you came uh, back to the states, uh, Anthony, um, were you participating in these in, in both type of matches? These uh, type pride like, and then also wrestling. So you were getting, you know, somewhat prepared for when you came back. Yeah, I, I would take anything that I could do. Sometimes we did mm-hmm. like little a school show where we did a gym or an outdoor festival, uh, pancreation fights. Uh, one MMA fight that, that I didn't really prepare for, but uh, you know we were training like we were grappling a lot. So anyway, I got into like an altercation at the gym with some uh, another a kickboxer from China, 
and we kind of got into a fight in the ring because he was he was trying to take my head off and be the guy that you know knocked out the foreigner. So I had to defend myself, and and, and I'm by myself here. I'm in like a dojo full of like you know thirty. 40 Japanese guys and one Chinese guy and uh, and they go hard man so anyway it, it got me tough pretty quick and got my cardio up and then I had to anyway I defended myself and I took him down and I gave him a few shots and uh, they're like oh you want to fight MMA next month and <laughs> I was like sure <laughs> and yeah it didn't go well we made, uh-huh. a, we made a, a drastic error and we switched to Southpaw because the, the judo stance and the boxing stance are opposite hands and Yada yada. It was not. It was not the right choice. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, experience all along the way. So, uh, oh, this, it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. This abrupt exit from Japan. Uh, they told. Yeah. I guess they told you you have to leave. <laughs> because, yeah, they, I, yeah. I was. I was banned. Actually, originally, it was, I was going to be banned for five years, Ooh. and then uh, someone kind of smartened us up and said, "Look, if you wait till December first, the law is going to change for the first time in like a hundred years, but you'll only be banned for one year." Uh-huh. So the law that's in a, in place at the time of your departure is the one that's going to be a, a applied to you. So we had to kind of you know keep a low profile, and and then I left uh, at the end of the year just before Christmas. So I was banned for one year, mm-hmm. and then when I went to OVW, I, I drove down to Louisville, and uh, the fact that I just came from Japan kind of gave me a a boost down there with regards to you know the perceived experience and and where I was. And uh, that's when I met Rip Rogers, who just, you know, gave me the vast majority of my skill set that I needed to go make money and and have a 10-year career with WWE. What was, um, and a lot of people don't uh, understand what was going on at the time. Now they have a, you know, a very established developmental, um, you know, school and how, how it works with NXT. But back then, uh, was um, Ohio Valley uh, Wrestling pretty much the the de- developmental school back back then and i also know that they, florida had something similar yeah, but how first, did it work back then yeah they they used to have one in oh gosh long time ago i think it was was it memphis or 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 nashville gosh it was in it was in it was in tennessee anyway yeah, yeah. and then it was ovw ohio valley wrestling and deep south wrestling in georgia and um uh deep south and ovw they existed concurrently and then they both kind of shut down and then it went to FCW after that. Right. So down there are guys that were in OVW or Deep South that ended up going to FCW. Uh, quite a few, actually. Yeah. But they didn't bring you in. You actually went to go to the school and, and paid to be there, right? Yeah. I went in the beginner's class for a month and then I got I graduated to the intermediate class where I was with Rip Rogers. And then near the end... Uh, I was, this was my game plan. So the, the advanced class at OBW was also the developmental class. Mm-hmm. So there was three, three different classes there. The advanced class was developmental talent. So let's say we had 25 guys in the advanced class, 23 or 22 would have been contracted uh, WWE developmental talent. And three were guys that, you know, were just kind of in the advanced class. Mm-hmm. So that was my target because I knew that they would send down producers and agents, right. I used to call them back then, to to uh, come down and watch and get an update on who's developing and who's going to be ready for TV soon. Also, I know that they, they um, the the office would watch OVW television. So I worked my way up to the advanced class, and um, I really got you know looked at 
I remember it was uh, Dean Malenko came down one time and I had a chance to wrestle in front of him. And, you know, I was doing stuff very differently because I was doing that Japanese work shoot style and just doing it in a really believable manner because all the years of judo and I always incorporated throws and submissions. And I still use that same kind of, you know, skeleton that that the match, that, that, that formula. I hate saying formula, but, you know, it's yeah. kind of formulaic. Uh, and I just you know, swapped out the moves for, for more MMA-oriented moves. And it was different at the time. And, of course, being different gets you noticed. Um, yeah. And then I just there was a, enough feedback, enough feedback. And then Paul Heyman one day was actually up in the rafters watching me train in Rips class and caught me in the parking lot. And he's like, I want to um, debut you on OVW television next week. And, you know, my heart sunk. And I'm like, this is my break mm -hmm. and um I, I was so so rip rogers gave me the nickname boris yeah. so it's funny for two years of my life i lived in two years and two weeks i lived in louisville and for two years and two weeks i was called boris and so, <laughs> so an italian called of, boris yeah in the town of louisville i'm known as boris yeah. and uh so people that i wrestled with at that that time they still call me boris it's pretty funny yeah. But that was just my nickname that Rip gave me. He said I looked like Boris Zukov or something. Yeah. And um, so my coach here was Don Koloff. So I said, well, I wonder if I can combine the two and be uh, Boris Koloff. I wonder. Yeah. I didn't know if that you know, incarnation of Russian first and last names has been put together. Yeah. So I was Boris. And then uh, Paul Heyman, he uh, debuted me as Boris Alexiev. And he changed the last name to that uh, former... Olympic powerlifting world champion uh, Alexia from Russia. Right. Yeah. And apparently, Paul Heyman's so smart. He knew that Vince was a big fan of Alexia. And to have the association, um, you know, with regards to the name, it, it, it could benefit me in terms of getting Vince's attention. Yeah. And uh, yeah, then we were this Boris Alexia uh, until, until I got signed. How was your Russian accent? I know you, uh, you're great with the Italian, but uh, how was your Russian? It, it was okay. Did you talk like uh, Russian this? Like, how did, you, how, did, how did it work? Were you good? Yeah, there's certain things like um, the H's would be a hev, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. And, and also what I would do is I would speak a little bit of Croatian because my, my best friend growing up, my neighbor was Croatian. And I learned a little bit of Croatian, but the people in Louisville didn't know any difference. Yeah. So I, I would say like... Uh, and uh, so what I'm actually saying is, uh, are you Croatian? I'm Croatian. Of course oh. I am or something, but oh, it's, I, it's like, not something like, would you like a biscuit? Or... <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's good though. I mean, yes, it's very good. Very good Russian. You do very, very well. Boris, That's yeah. Good. yeah. Well, that must've been fun. Yeah, it was awesome. And the kids in my little neighborhood. <laughs> I never broke character for the kids in my neighborhood, uh. and uh, they were pretty funny. Yeah, it's like uh, Nikolai. Every time he did the anthem, it was it, it was different words. Nobody, really <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, that was just one of your early. I, have you always been good with dialects? Could you always do? I, I've always been able to do. You know, yeah, well, you know the, what? Growing up in in in, in Mississauga at the, yeah. at the time that we did, so all of my almost my entire high school, I, I'm talking ninety percent mm. are all first generation Canadians and all our parents are from different countries. So we had a lot of uh, Italian, Portuguese, Polish, Greek, Maltese, mm. 
And if I look even, even in my elementary school classes, those nationalities are almost everybody in the class. You know, we'd have one black kid, one Chinese kid, mm. but the rest was all, yeah. I'm all over the world. Italian, Greek, yeah. everyone that came from Europe. So, so everyone's parents, all my friends' parents had really strong accents from different countries, Slovenian, yeah. Croatian. All the know. kids were first generation, so you had these really rich. Yeah, so our, <laughs> our parents were all, yeah. you know, they, they would try and yell at us or something in, in you know, English, which was definitely not their first language. And, and that's where I got son of my gun from. My neighbor, <laughs> Ivan, would always say, son of my gun, you know? So I just picked up, I, I just assembled bits and pieces of all my friends' parents. Oh, well, and, and, and the way you destroy the English language is just classic. I mean, the, it, you know, the, the, the stuff with Santino, but I'm sure that you made use of it when you were playing the Russian as well. Yeah, yeah. So um, when you were with OVW, uh, were there, did you get shots to come up and do enhancement matches before you got the big break with uh, at Santino, or, or was that the first experience? Yeah, no, I, I came up on the road once. I think I did a, a Texas loop one time, yeah. and um, yeah, I was called to Cincinnati one time, but I didn't. I didn't get a chance to have a match. I just kind of wrestled in the ring, and you know, in front of some people. I remember I had bronchitis, so I was really struggling. But uh, I did have a, a dark match with Jamie Noble in in Texas, and so I was a little bit ahead of my time with regards. Yeah. I, I did a, a side triangle choke as my finisher. And to the untrained eye, it could, it could look like a head scissors, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So at the end of this match, I get him down, I put on the head scissors, and he gets, it goes unconscious. So there was like uh, some, cr some crickets in here, like, what the hell is that? <laughs> and uh, now if someone does it, they, they, yeah. have, uh, they would understand a bit more. Yeah. Well, that's, that's funny. But um, uh, you, you get this opportunity um, when they decide they want to have this character. Uh, who was it that sold Vince on giving you that shot? And it was in Italy when it happened. Yeah. So, so uh, it's, it's, everything works. I, I, I mean, you're barely two years into this, Anthony, with this, which is pretty amazing. You don't really uh, start on this real professional career, a career until 2005. And then two years later, wow, how did it happen? Yeah, so 2000, so two, all of 2004 was in Japan. 2005, yeah. I moved to OVW. I yeah. get signed in 2006, and then 2007, I get this call. It was um, it was Mike Bucci at the time. Uh -huh. He's sitting there with, with the writers, and he's like, "Hey, Boris, it's it's uh, it's Nova." And he goes, uh, "Your background's really Italian, right?" And I go, "Yep." And uh, he goes, "You can speak Italian." And I just remembered we had this talk. So Dusty Rhodes, there was a guy named Jack Bull was in developmental yeah. and dusty Rhodes called him one time and said you know jack bull is a dusty Rhodes. uh can you ride a can you ride a motorcycle and he's like nope and he thought someone was prank calling him uh. and, and doing a dusty impression all right and well, a dusty very goes, good one <laughs> dusty goes well can you can you learn to ride a motorcycle he goes nope and he goes and he goes okay so anyway, he gets off the phone. He looks at his phone. He sees two zero three, the area code. And he's like, "Oh my gosh, is that Dusty Rhodes?" So anyway, we we kind of had a laugh about it. And Dusty Rhodes came down to OVW and was talking to everybody. And he said, "Look, and this poor guy never got another opportunity to really get called up. He was about to get called up to do something with the Undertaker. I was like, this bike gang thing. Oh, wow. Yeah, and um, 
And Dusty said, look, if they ever ask you if you can do something, the answer is yes. yes. They, <laughs> then you better learn how to do it. Right. Like, Fake it till you make it as it goes. Yeah. So when I used to work downtown Toronto, um, I worked for a year. I was in the, I was in that rat race traffic for one year, like almost bell to bell, one full year. Yeah. And um, I used to have this, uh, I always wanted to learn Italian more. So I had this uh, tourist um, conversational Italian tape that I would listen to every day in rush hour traffic. And um, I couldn't speak Italian, but I could regurgitate some of the tape. Yeah, so well, they, they spoke, they, your parents spoke it in your house, though, didn't they? Well, my, my dad's from Italy. My mom is, uh, is Metis, which is uh, a French Canadian native Indian. Okay. And um, so we didn't speak it at home. Right. Okay. But, you know, my, my, my dad's family, they all, you know, they're very Italian, but we just didn't speak it at home. Yeah, okay. And um, so they asked me if I could speak Italian. I just said, I regurgitated a couple lines from the tape, and it, it was like such random stuff. Like, I'd like, I said, yeah. uh, vorrei un metro kilo di formaggio, <laughs> which means I want to buy a half kilo of cheese. <laughs> and then uh, he said, say something else. And I said, yeah. mi chiamo Antonio Carelli, yeah. which yeah. means my name is Anthony Carelli. Yeah. And I could just. You have very nice shoes. You, like yeah. Said. <laughs> and I could just see them looking around at each other going, I don't know, it sounded like Italian. It's, yeah. I don't know, it sounded good. And all of a sudden he goes, okay, uh, we're going to fly you out tomorrow and you may debut as this Italian guy. You know, keep it keep it under wraps. It's, uh, it's always subject to change. Well, and the most important thing was having that accent, right? I mean, that's really what yeah. it ended up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I didn't have to speak Italian very yeah. much. I just had to speak any English with an Italian accent. <laughs> <laughs> so then that's it. They flew me out to yeah. Italy the next day. I oh. got there on Sunday and I debuted on Monday. And and then it was like, buckle up and hold on. Here goes 10 years. Like, you know, wow. crazy. I, I tell you that that I actually watched that scene this week uh, of your debut. And uh, yeah, you, you pulled that off. So great. Uh, and the crowd, you got the, the crowd was behind you immediately. Um, I don't know when you announced the town you were from or, and they're chanting, so, there's soccer chants going yeah, on. Yeah. Well, the town, the, the town I said was my dad's actual town. Uh, that's what I thought it was. I, I knew there was going to be some direct connection. Yeah. But it's such a small town yeah. and it's such a random. You got a big pop. Uh, so uh, yeah, imagine yeah. you're, you know, in the United States and some guy comes out of the audience and they say, uh, where are you from? And he goes, Boise, Idaho. You know, you're going to say, okay, that's believable. It's, you know, it's not LA or New York or something. You know what I mean? It's a small town. This was, uh, and Calabria is the South of Italy. And, um, and actually this year, this year, 2018, it was January 2nd and 3rd. Uh, I went to this town for the first time. My wife and I were in Italy and uh, I finally made it to the to the motherland. So it's wow. it's just I've never been there my entire career. But when mm-hmm. I debuted, and the word got out, like their their whole town was like, hey, some guy from our town is on TV wrestling, uh-huh. and everyone's like, who is this guy? It's a small town of like you know a few thousand people. So it's like, who who is this guy? And then they said, oh no, it was the Corellis that left it that left in the in the fifties, and they live in Canada, and blah blah blah, and they kind of you know. Uh, you know, put the little town on the map a little bit, yeah. and the mayor invited me for lunch and everything. <laughs> That's great. Did, I, did the town show up? I would have <laughs> maybe would have kind of gotten a bus or something. I had, but, oh no, it, it was a <laughs> last minute surprise. Yeah, but, but, but the, the the beauty of it was was that I really got a chance to connect with my Italian side. I became uh-huh. I'm a dual citizen, and 
after I became Santino, I studied the language because I, I knew I was going to have to go back to Italy at some point yeah. and speak. So I started studying. Uh, first, I did Rosetta Stone, and and that got me up, got me well enough to a point where I could, I cut a promo in Italian in Italy. But then years later, I had a tutor, and I got like the more advanced Rosetta Stone, and I actually did two live interviews in Italy, one on the news and one on the radio. Um, in Italian, and it was it was it was it was amazing. You know, I was so nervous cool. because yeah. I'm portraying this Italian character right. that I, I should be able to at least speak the language. So I, 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 yeah, I became an Italian citizen. And what's the expression? Art imitates life, or something. Yeah. Oh, that must have been. You must have nightmares, though. You think they'd ask you these, you know, long questions, and you'd be like, Ah, huh? oh I want God. more cheese well, on my pizza. <laughs> yeah, there's the commentators yeah. now that do the yeah. Italian commentary. One of them. Um, he did an interview and, and he's like, yeah, yeah, we know you're Canadian, but we're just going to, you know, play along and, and whatever. And he, mm -hmm. then he goes a hundred miles an hour <laughs> right. and just gives me the microphone. And I'm like, see, uh -huh. you know. <laughs> so when, when the, they uh, brought you in for this, this character, this run, um, did they have any idea? I mean, was it meant to be comical or did they realize the talent you had? And then uh, just ran with it. Well, I, th I think I was given the opportunity because of, of talent. But this was, uh, I saw it developing. So what happened is they go, okay, here's a guy from the audience. Mm -hmm. He wins the title, well, you know, while he's unconscious, right? You know, like Bobby yeah. Lashley helps out. And then all of a sudden, two weeks later, I appear on Raw and I beat like Chris Masters and then Sheldon Benjamin. And I think the people were kind of like, you know, as if this pedestrian or, I mean, civilian could... Uh, beat these guys and i think they felt that i was being force fed to them and you know i had the makings for a little fiery baby face and everything but you know the way they boot roman reigns and the way they boot john cena they, yeah. they, they don't want to be told what to like right and yeah. i think they felt that so it didn't really connect and then they said all right i guess we'll turn him heel and if that doesn't work you know repackage right or or, or see you later to be honest but uh, as soon as they turned me heel, I tickled Vince's funny bone, and that was job security, <laughs> really. So what? I mean, where did you come up with that stuff, though? I mean, the, just the I'm, I'm telling you, the stuff that uh, <laughs> I was looking at the the Sheamus uh, interview that you did in the ring when when you guys were over in England. Oh, the tea party, the tea, the tea party. And you know, just do it. Do you like it? Uh, you know, milky. Oh, yeah. And, and just the way, you, just the way you said it. I, I maybe you know, it, it's genuinely funny, but with the accent and how you twist the words, Sheamus, You know, and the uh, did that? Did you just riff? Were you a lot of the stuff? Were you or, or were you coming up with it before you'd go out? I think it's. I think it was again like the time that I grew up. I mean, <laughs> during the eighties, we had the best sitcoms as well. Yeah. And, and and now I was Santino's like a character from a sitcom, really, you know. Um and it was just that that's where I got really my inspiration was just from from one from where I live and from the time that I grew up and you know, watched a lot of TV growing up. Well, you mentioned sitcoms and this is a good point cuz uh, I've got a sponsor I got to talk about here uh Anthony and uh you remember Seinfeld. I, I don't know if you were a big yeah. Seinfeld. You remember uh, Kenny Banya, the, the character on that yeah, show? And yeah, yeah. Like, Jerry, that's gold. That's gold. Yeah, Ben. Well, it, it turns out that that uh, 
the actor or comedian, I should say, who who uh, was the you know in that in the show, Steve Heitner, has a podcast, and it's called That's Gold with <laughs> Steve Heitner. And if you love this show, folks, you are going to love That's Gold with Steve Heitner. Uh, you may remember Steve, as I mentioned, if you are a Seinfeld fan, as Jerry's annoying comedian friend Kenny Banya, who coined the term "That's Gold, Jerry." Oh, that's gold. Remember? Well, uh, that's gold. Uh, on that gold, Steve is joined by co-host Rich Johnson, and they talk about everything guys love. Of course, it sounds like a Seinfeld show. Sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, music, Vegas, and of course, nothing, I would imagine. And they do this five days a week. It's like having a conversation with your buddies at a bar, a bar where famous guests often show up to shoot the breeze. So check it out, folks. It's that gold. That's gold with Steve Heitner on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm, uh, that's really funny, these guys. Uh, you're going to check this out, uh, Anthony, because uh, if you were a Kenny Banya fan, uh, this this is uh, really good stuff. Yeah, I was a comedy fan growing up, too. I mean, we used to, live, we used to you know, get tapes and sit in the garage and listen uh, to Rodney Dangerfield. And, I love Rodney. Uh, yeah, Rodney was the best ever. And, you know, I used to stay up... The, I used to stay up late to watch Johnny Carson, David Letterman. Uh, oh. I just loved that 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 banter back and forth, and 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 again, the comedy shows were so good. Back, you know, WKRP in Cincinnati, and Welcome Back, Cotter. All and 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 Santino. A lot of it actually was all in the family. Um, so you know how Archie Bunker was always educating people on what's right and wrong by being the obvious wrong. Yeah. And that was Santino. He was chauvinistic, and he was—he uh, he was wrong. He was always wrong. Yeah. yeah. And, and but uh, believed wholeheartedly in what he was saying. Yes, Archie <laughs> Bunker style. <laughs> well, were you were you funny as a kid? I mean, I, yeah. when did you get this comedic timing? And I, I talked to you about this before. Uh, but really, did you were you funny as a kid, or when did you realize that uh, you had this? Yeah, I, I, I was I was a class. Well, you, you know, it, it wasn't just me though. Like my high, when I think of high school, I just think of guys standing around in the calf or outside or on the football field or wherever, and just constantly, constantly joking. All my friends, we had, we had so much laughter and it was good comedy. It was funny. And we, you know, we used to roast each other and, you know, class clowns. And we, we, was, we were basically smart asses, uh, right through elementary school. Cause, cause our, our group, like our, our neighborhood was built in 81, 82. So the same group of kids from seven years old, we went right through high school and, you know, university together. So we had a tight knit group of friends and we just comedy, man. It was just always, we were just always laughing. Yeah. And as I mentioned, uh, when we started our conversation here about my son, Kyle, who, uh, you know, was uh, just becoming a huge fan then he was a big WWE fan and he loved you. And he got, he told me one day he wanted me to watch this thing. And, um, I, I remember, I can't remember even what the, the bit you were doing, but I was like, man, he, th th they've got to capitalize on this guy. Cause he is genuinely funny, like his timing and the way he delivers lines and how he chews the words up. And, um, you know, and, and so he was one of those people, like you talked about, that initially you came on there. It was kind of this gimmick thing that this guy out of nowhere, which could have lasted a, a two months, maybe. And uh, you developed into this character that people really enjoyed. I mean, uh, and Vince McMahon is certainly the one you wanted to get uh, take notice. But when did you um, 
start to realize that that it was working. With these you, you, you know what it was? I would get this more often than not, and it, it meant a lot to me. So I go, let's say I'm doing a signing, and yeah. there's a guy that comes up to me, and he goes, hey, man, can I, goes, can I tell you something? And I go, yeah. And he goes, I... I, I stepped away from wrestling for a while. I didn't like what was on TV. And, and uh, you know, because you actually brought me back to wrestling. He goes, the stuff you did was so funny. It was so old school. And, you know, like, thank you for bringing me back to something I love. And even Mark Yaten, uh, you know, Mark, one of the production guys, he's like, can I tell you something? He goes, my wife, you know, I've been in the business. He's been in WWE for probably 30 years now. And he goes, my wife doesn't watch wrestling. She's sick of wrestling. She goes, she started watching wrestling again because of you. And he goes, now we get to share it again. And he was like, thank you. And, and I get that all, the, I get it. It was incredible. And, and then when I found out that I was um, people's grandmothers, you know, like yeah. people's grandmother's favorites, yeah. or even uh, a lot of the wrestlers, I'm always their wife's favorite. Because you don't have to be necessarily a wrestling fan. Because you, I guess they're sick and tired of big macho muscle guys acting cool and yeah. someone's finally willing to you know be a little foolish and, and, and take the joke and make it about them and uh, it was appreciated it was appreciated and, and that was when I realized we were on to something here did you have people uh, coming up to you and, and you know doing the imitation and had specific lines that they would say to you oh man when I, I would get pictures of people dressing up as Santino for Halloween and that that was like oh my god the unibrow yeah <laughs> you son of a gun <laughs> well and, and and you know I uh you know you know Chris Chambers with the yes. WWE yeah. and uh you know he's been with the company forever and when you're around it for a long time it takes it it, it takes a lot to impress you with somebody or or have somebody who you know really and I re I remember that like he would do imitations of you doing lines that I mean he just <laughs> loved loved your stuff, uh, you know. And we're uh, so I I knew that uh, you were onto something, um, but was there a time that you that that you felt like oh uh, I'd I'd like to have maybe if I would have taken another path path and have been this serious uh, you know heel or or was it you just enjoyed the ride the whole time? You know what. It's funny that you say that because when I got there, there there was this subculture in the locker room of people being dissatisfied with um, where they were. Yeah. You know, the fact that, oh, Cena's making 10 times the money as everybody else and, yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, guys, we're professional wrestlers for a living. This is awesome. Yeah. You know, I, I don't I, have to grow up. Yeah. You know, <laughs> this, is, this is our job. Yeah. I mean, Maybe for me it was a bit different because once I kind of once I once I once I locked down that niche I was there I didn't really have a lot of competition for a long time with regards to being the, the comedic wrestler yeah. and it was actually Lance Storm one time he wrote an article saying to, about me basically saying yeah you know what he's probably not going to be in the main event and probably not going to be the heavyweight champion but he's going to have job security and longevity and he was and I, when I heard that I go that's you know, slow and steady wins the race. Yeah. And I, I was there for a long time. And, and yeah. so maybe I had a little more enjoyment because of that, or maybe it was just because of my point of view and, and, and my state of mind. But well, uh, it also, I, it also I, had, I had to an be awesome fun. Time. Yeah, but it had to be fun too. I mean, the stuff you got to do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and and then as I was there, they got more and more, um, 
faith in me. So in the beginning, mm. they would write lines, like a, yeah. like a paragraph. Right, and right. near the end, it was like a couple bullet points. And they said, okay, just, just hit the stuff and say it your way, you know? <laughs> right. and, and then I was like, wow, these writers are really, you know, they have faith in me and stuff. I actually, I actually wanted to do a sitcom. And actually, it was Chris Chambers. Uh, he so he yeah he 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 directed a pilot for me, mm-hmm. and um, we, someone uh, another guy in the office in his spare time literally edited it and put it in put in canned laughter because I wanted like an eighties sitcom, yeah. and I waited one day after Raw for like an hour, and I sat down with Vince and I gave him the DVD, and they watched it on the plane and he called me in the next week and he goes I like the initiative you took uh, we're gonna do this. And I knew the network was coming. So I was hoping it was going to end up there. And I'm talking like a one, you know, like everybody loves Raymond type set, yeah. you know, with, yeah. the, with the stairs in the background, going vert, you know, horizontal <laughs> and um, a kitchen maybe. <laughs> and the one we did was really funny. And yeah. then they assigned one of the writers to me uh, yeah. to, to do like three episodes, like an actual pilot. Yeah. And this guy's dad passed away and he broke his hip and he God. got Lyme disease oh, and whatever. Geez. And this guy, cause he used to write for the Cosby show or something. Yeah. And the, 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 the three episodes we did with him were the shits. Yeah. And then when they got, he wasn't exactly guy, in the right place. You're saying he wasn't in the right place of mind, <laughs> for yeah. comedy. Oh. And uh, so it never really, it never got to, uh, oh. Not got to be really, but I I thought that we were onto something there. Even even now to this day, I would love to do a good old fashioned '80s sitcom, yeah. and it was called uh, "Somebody Loves Santino," and, <laughs> and it was with Beth Phoenix. And at the time, she would have been like my offs, you know, my my wife kind of thing. Uh-huh. Well, you, you know the uh, the Bushwhackers, uh, you know, they they went before they came to the WWF. They're like this badass tag team. Very serious, and you know, like they tore Vicious. people up. Yeah, they were. I mean, if people don't realize that, that they were, you know, they were hardcore, and uh, they got to the WWF at the time, and Vince wanted them to be these characters, these comical. And I asked uh, Luke when I uh, interviewed him, you know, did you regret? I mean, here you guys were kind of this badass tag team, and he's like, you know, mate, no, <laughs> you know, not. It wasn't just the money. They had a ball doing it. Yeah. So, you know, there was, the, you know, and they, and, and like you said, it gave them longevity because yeah. they were unique. I definitely trained to be like a, a Dean Malenko or an Eddie Guerrero, or Kurt Angle, even Owen yeah. Hart, yeah. Chris Benoit. Those were all my, my, the guys I focused on wrestling like them. And um, yeah, this Santino came to be, and it's not what I intended to do, but it, it was a, absolute blessing you know it was so much fun well and you, and you think about it, you did you do have titles i mean that that uh, many people had long careers didn't get um what stands out from those i mean the intercontinental championship uh i mean of course the hunky meter was <laughs> classic but um i mean you, you've got to be proud of that uh, that regardless of how the storylines went uh it, it's it's the same for everybody. There's a storyline for every type. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the the first couple times I won the Intercontinental title, yeah. um, I was like unconscious and I won it in a comical way. Like, well, yeah. I mean, the first time Bobby Lashley kind of propped me on, and the next time Beth Phoenix won the 
it, it was a it was two titles on the line so she kind of did the work and i just benefited and then you know it comes in peaks and valleys especially when you're a comedic character you can't be a tough guy because there's really nothing funny about being a tough guy but uh a comedic uh, a comedy character can have those moments and those nights and if my neck didn't get bad i always thought there was going to be one night and it could have been for two weeks that I, I i won the heavyweight championship and then you know lost it later yeah. in, a, in a week or so but just to have that night um i think that was part of the attraction to santino but coming so close um all those times i think that's the the romance behind the the, the relationship with the character is that people always wanted santino to just do a little better and they never quite got that satisfaction so they always left with wanting a little more and i think that's cool that they never got bored of the character they could they always wanted a little more and even people will come up to me and be like you know they should use you better and they should use you more and i want to see more santino and yeah. so the, people definitely voiced their their opinion and preference but i think I, the way it worked out was pretty good always wanting them uh, always having them want a little more well, and I think another thing that people really appreciated is that uh, you could you could tell that you worked really well. I mean, it wasn't like you'd go in there and you just knew a few moves. That you could tell because you would you would have these moves where you throw people and do. Uh, so I think they appreciated the fact that you weren't just this joke. I mean, you were this uh, in a sense you were funny, but you know what I'm saying that they knew you knew what you were doing in that ring. Yeah, and I, I would I would say, I, I read that sometimes where people are yeah. like, you could tell he can wrestle. Why are they making yeah. him lose or something? Yeah. Or yeah. or then there's there's a YouTube video of of Boris Alexia of the promo video we did back in OVW, yeah. and I mean it has to be it's been viewed hundreds of thousands of times now. But people are like, why didn't they use this? This looks so cool. And I'm like, yeah, it was cool, but how much like can you watch yeah. that guy for ten years? Right. I don't know. You know. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, there was there's definitely an art to it. Um, becoming the fastest eliminated uh, competitor in a Royal Rumble. I, I remember hearing an interview that you said you talked about that that was stressful because you had to get it right. <laughs> you know what? And, and, and that's actually like um, a metaphor for my entire point of view. I remember when we we're going through the um, the elimination order and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, Dimalenko was like, "Okay, Santino, you're next." He goes, "It's not going to be long. You know, you'll be thrown out pretty quick." I was like, "Okay, whatever." Um, and then I said, "Can I try and break the record then?" And he looked at me like, "Okay, let me ask." You know, and he came back and said, "Yeah." They said, "Go ahead." So you know, they gave me lemons and I turned it into lemonade, yeah. and then yeah. I had to, you know, come up with a, a plan to be actually the fastest elimination and and and, and nail it. And I think they tried to break it a couple of times, but they can't do it. So <laughs> it was you own it. <laughs> and you were fired by Donald Trump. Who can say that? Yeah. Well, my sister was. Lisa, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's true. Excuse me. Yeah. That's like, uh, yeah, my uh, my my other half, Ian Mooney, who's still out there somewhere. We don't know <laughs> uh, whatever happened to him. But yeah, but that must have uh, been an interesting experience. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was pretty <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's it's more significant now after the yeah. fact that he's he's the president of the yeah, United you know, States. Yeah, but it was pretty cool. Of course, uh, when he got elected, I found that old video and 
you know, retweeted it. <laughs> well, you know, that, and, and one of the first interviews I did ever alive was during the pay-per-view in Atlantic City, my first WrestleMania. And I interviewed uh, Donald Trump in the crowd. And so there's a picture out there that people always send me of me interviewing him. But I, I tell you, Anthony, that was the worst interview I ever did live in my life. I was just a wreck. It was my first one. And every time I see it, it's it stings because I go, oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> like, thank God I got better. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's like my moment with Trump is what, what stands out from that interview. Yeah, it was yeah. funny. He kept looking at the camera. And normally that would be like a bust, you know, you got to yeah. do it again, but they just, they just let it go. No, it's Donald Trump. Yeah, whatever it's Donald the, Trump. Yeah. the hell he wants, right? Yeah. So, uh, but when you look back though, at that, uh, the, those, those years, um, and, uh, you know, what you were able to accomplish, uh, you know, pretty much doing whatever they asked you to do and making it work. Like you said, they handed you lemons. I mean, I can't imagine if somebody said, okay, we want you to do this. And I don't know who came up with the angle to be a Santina, but was, how did that come about? And, and was it the same kind of thing that you said, okay, I'll make it work. Well, I, I think Vince, he was, he found it very funny that, that kind of, um, chauvinistic gender role comedy type stuff, you know, yeah. where, yeah. where Santino was trying to show that he's, um, that men are dominant, and, and of course Beth Phoenix was, of course, the dominant one in the relationship, which was really, you know, making him become desperate. And then he dressed up like a woman to win the battle royal and stuff. So it was supposed to be a, a one-time thing, actually. I, um, but apparently, you know, who was in? The, I think Mike Kyoto was in uh, Gorilla, and he yeah. said Vince was just dying, laughing, like slapping his leg, huh. dying. And so it isn't it funny time. some of the things that made it, that he just finds hilarious and you go oh, okay <laughs> yeah I, I just I brought it to life I gave it my yeah. all and I yeah. I had a couple of dance moves in the back pocket that I was, was waiting to <laughs> use and uh, and it lasted for three months but uh, gosh you know you wrestle for ten years and then just <laughs> like a woman for three months <laughs> and it, it's, <laughs> that's what they remember that's what they remember was there any hesitation to do it. No, to not no. do it, I should say. No, no, not at all. It was. Uh, I remember the first time I was getting the makeup. I remember Nicole Scherzinger from the Pussycat Dolls, yeah. and uh, she was at our guest at Mania, and she came in and saw me getting dressed up, and I think she thought I was the local or I was cross, you know, transvestite or something, and, <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 this is uh, my name's Anthony, and this is a one-time thing, and. But it was, uh, no, I, it was fun. It was fun. My daughter, my daughter was probably a little embarrassed at school, but that was about it. Yeah, but I'm sure she's very proud of her dad. Uh, before I let you go, we only have a few minutes left here, but uh, on, a, on the serious side of this, that as I mentioned uh, before, that, uh, you know, you've been involved in uh, martial arts. I know you've, you know, been involved in some MMA matches, and now you have battle arts. Uh it, it seems as though the business is, is kind of changing back to or, 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 or adapting a lot of what you talked about, what they were doing in Japan, where uh, a lot of these are, are kind of blurred now. And, and what these guys are doing in the ring um, pretty much seems along the lines of how you're training these, these kids that come through your school up in Canada. Yeah, 100 percent. So in 2004, yeah. when MMA was really you know growing and yeah. I said, OK, but now the audience knows what real grappling and real fighting looks like. And, 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 you know, professional wrestling was basically like MMA back in the day. And I said, so we have to, so if I'm a quarterback, I'm throwing the ball 
to where you're going to be, not, yeah. not to where you are right now. And I feel as a coach, I have to train my wrestlers to where the industry is going to be when it comes time for them to be ready, not where it is now, because by yeah. the time they get there, that's going to be obsolete. And I really, you have to, you have to believe and you have to stick to your guns. And I'm, I'm training. I should tell people, look, you know, you got to cross train. If you're not an amateur athlete, it's not too late, but you have to do it concurrently. So, you know, you have a lot of fans that want to be wrestlers and that's fine, yeah. but we're going to become full-time fighters, full-time bodybuilders, full-time wrestlers. I mean, you really have to embrace every aspect of being a professional wrestler. Um, I said, you know, how, how can you convincingly convince me that you're fighting? Can you convincingly work? Yeah. yeah, if you've never been in a fight or you've never competed or anything. So um, most of my athletes, they do something. They So battle arts is two things. It's a professional wrestling school. And then the other side, it's a uh, Olympic combative sports. So we do mm -hmm. boxing, wrestling, and judo. Uh, I guess there's another side. And then we do MMA, which is yeah. Muay Thai and BJJ, that kind of stuff. But but a person that has a membership in pro wrestling, they have access to everything. So I said, okay, if we're training pro wrestling Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday, just say, then I want you to go to Muay Thai and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Monday and Friday. And just really expedite the 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 coordination the footwork that you're going to need to be a high level wrestler as i tell the guys like a lot of the guys there um or like it was someone like randy orton he was a a state champ amateur wrestler uh, growing up cody rhodes dolph ziggler uh you know gosh uh, alberto del rio jack swagger all these guys are, and the list goes on everyone's a high level athlete and a high level wrestler and if you want to do it as a bucket list thing and you want to be, you work the indies, that's fine. That That's your, your choice. But if you want to make it to the highest level, then we're going to have an understanding that you have to train like a professional athlete. Um, Rip Rogers has the best analogy. He goes, I can't call the Celtics tomorrow and say, Hey, um, I want to play basketball. I figure you guys have trained me. Yeah. And they go, <laughs> give it a shot. Experience? Yeah. You have any experience <laughs> playing basketball? He goes, no, but I figured you guys will train me yeah. and it doesn't work that way. You, you got to be an amateur. So, and, and that was the mentality that I fell in love with in Japan. Yeah. They're saying, okay, an Olympic athlete is an amateur athlete. We're professional. We have to outwork them. And that's why they do those, you know, thousands of squats and thousands right. of sit-ups and push-ups, And they just train so hard because they have the attachment of the word professional to to what they're doing yeah. and um I, I took that home and i believe in that and i'm pretty hard on my students but they're some of the best indie wrestlers uh in ontario for sure do you see the business though heading that way that it's going to be more of that uh almost uh you know shoot kind of uh you know blurred wrestling because you see what you know nick aldis is doing and cody and uh, they bring this realism to these matches. You know, uh, Nick Nick loves to do the, uh, they have the, you know, the weigh-in and they have in-ring instructions and they try and create this big fight feel. I uh, love that. Do, yeah. Do you see the business uh, heading that way or yeah, is it always yeah. going to be? Yeah? We do stuff. Um, we do every match is, is uh, you know, the entrance, the entrance, then the introductions in the ring. Eventually I want to do uh, a top 10 statistic. I want to do wins and losses. Um, you can't do all the wins and losses, including, you know, house shows and stuff. But I think for the year you can have, a, you know, for this year, they can be uh, six and four, that kind of thing. 
Um, I, I love it. I even like doing this match is sanctioned by the governing body or whatever yeah. and yeah. all that stuff. You know, just yeah. to to help make them suspend every last drop of disbelief and, and really get emotionally invested. Um, if you watch when someone scores a goal in the World Cup, they go ballistic. Yeah. Absolutely ballistic. Yeah. And we can achieve that, but you have to be flawless with your technique so that um, you know there's not... This is the analogy I use. If you're watching a horror movie and just as the vampire is going to jump out, you see the camera drop into the picture, you'd be like, ah, oh, man. Uh, yeah, they ruined it. Yeah. Just uh, uh, it. Yeah. And I don't want any cameras dropping in. So we make sure every little aspect is perfect. And then, you know, you should get that massive reaction at the end. And that's the only one you should really be concerned about is the finish. Um, and not trying to pop them with dives and stuff throughout the match. Yeah, does it does it frighten you though? With some of the when we see today, some of the the, and I don't want to call them stunts, but uh, you know they're just way where you, I, I'm worried for someone really getting hurt now. You know, guys jumping over the top rope, doing flips onto the floor, onto bodies, and uh, does that concern you at all? Or is this? Yeah, you know, these guys are you know trained professionals and whatever. Yeah. Yeah, uh, one guy I trained with, he's dead now. He was paralyzed from the neck down for a few years. And, and, and Rip even told him, he's going to kill yourself one day. Um, but there are different genres now. So there's lucha, there's hardcore, yeah. um, there's, you know, realistic shoot style. And then there's that, you know, classic, like the stuff Cody's doing with, like, the NWA title and everything. Um, mm. And ultimately, the show should have a, a little bit of each. And then yeah. people should be able to work with others as well. So it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's an interesting time right now because of the, the, um, you know, digital platforms that small companies can access, you know, inexpensively. They're kind of, uh, there's a resurgence of these kind of territories coming up. And if you go viral, you can be watched by hundreds of thousands of people all over the world. And you can have a, just a, a completely inexpensive production budget. Yeah. Well, Anthony, before we get off here, though, I know that uh, Santino is there with you. I just have one question for him. Yeah. Uh, could I could I talk him just one second? I just want to ask him. Uh, Santino, are you there? Yeah, Santino. John's on the phone. Yeah. He's a big fan of mine. I know that. A big fan. Hello. Uh, Santino. Si. How are you, my friend? It's Sean Mooney. I am fantastical. Thank you very much. Yes. Uh, hey, uh, I just had a great conversation with Anthony, but I want to ask you. Uh, before we sign off here, though, when when you look back on all you accomplished in the WWE, how do you think that you you measure up among the the great superstars in the WWE? Well, I'm only five foot ten, so they're more taller than me. But uh, oh. it's not the size of the dog, but the size of the fight in the dogs. Ah, that makes complete sense to me. And and you are you waiting for that phone call? You know no. the one I'm talking about. No, no, I'm a too busy now. Not the Hall of Fame? You wouldn't uh, take oh, that, that call? that phone call. Okay. I'm, yeah, I sit by the phone quite often, but uh, <laughs> sometimes. Uh, uh, you know, some people say to me that I have Hall of Fame career, but uh, I guess time will tell. Yes, maybe you'll you'll be in uh, right after Shamus. <laughs> Shamus. Yes, you're a good friend. All right, Santino, it's been a, a great uh, pleasure uh, talking with you and i and i wish you well uh in whatever your endeavors are today uh, uh could you put anthony back on tell him that you, i just want to say goodbye before we get Forget off. that guy he's a son of a gun <laughs> he's a son of a gun he is <laughs> 
Yeah, Anthony, thank you. thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, tell Santino, I, I wish him the best. Um, I wish you would have known Gorilla Monsoon. Uh, Gino, you would have loved him. And uh, I think he would have really enjoyed um, all the entertainment you brought people in the WWE. How can folks get in touch with you uh, about the school and, and other ways? Uh, yeah, to find we're at battlearsacademy.ca. And, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, these, that's it, really. Google it. Yeah. Call us. Come on down. Come and train. I'm, I'm on Twitter, you know, uh, at Milan Miracle and Instagram, The Milan Miracle. And, and uh, that's about it. Yeah, I mean, uh, Battle Arts is on Twitter as well. I think it's Battle Arts, BAA. And I usually update because we do boxing and, and wrestling and stuff. Uh, perhaps we'll see you uh, with the WWE anytime. Anything's going with the network or? I don't know. I work for Sportsnet now, and I yeah, I work yeah, you do. You know, that's another thing I didn't mention that uh, you do a lot. Uh, you do. You're an analyst, and uh, you're on some of these other shows. Yeah, I work a lot, and we just, yeah. we, I have a ten day old boy, son. Well, yeah, I, I've seen your picture. Awesome. So pretty, pretty busy. But uh, okay, yeah, we have to actually go to the doctor. Now. Yep, it's all turned out. Okay, yeah. well, uh, it was great talking to you, uh, Anthony, and. Uh, Take care. It's been, uh, I hope I talk to you and see you again soon. Yeah. And hopefully we get to see the stuff we did with the, the Edge and Christian show come pretty soon. Yes. Forgot to plug that. Yeah. We did have a lot of fun. That, that was one fun. line when you say uh, Christian's got the member's jacket on and he's oh, very nice jacket. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> yes, it's comfortable too. I'm going to talk to Chambers about that sitcom. We need, you need to do that sitcom. Yeah. That'd be fun. All right, my friend, take care. Take care. Thank you. What the pleasure it was to talk to Santina Morella. I'm glad that uh, Santina was there so I could at least get a couple of questions in with him. Uh, what is he? Is it some of a, some of a gum? Uh, <laughs> he genuinely makes me laugh. I remember watching him in some of the scenes that he did. And oh, man, that tea party with, with Sheamus was very funny. I uh, want to uh, thank Anthony Corelli for coming on. Uh, really found a great place in the WWE and real uh, and a genuinely funny person. And man, the guy could also get it done in the ring and uh, quite an athlete. And now he's got battle arts up in Canada, training future wrestlers and other fighters at uh, their facility, a great facility they have up there. So I uh, really enjoyed that conversation. want to thank Anthony for coming on PTSM. Uh, once again, I want to remind everybody about the second watch along for primetime with Sean Mooney. We're going to be uh, having it on Sunday, November 11th. You can join us for this live watch along event. It will feature Coliseum video, super tape one, Coliseum video, super tape one, all kinds of fun stuff. Great matches on there. And uh, there's a whole series of vignettes that uh, Gene Orkelin did with the uh, Bushwhackers that are just uh, a riot. So we'll be talking about those. Um, we're going to have, you know, the questions. You guys can f uh, uh, feed me questions all the way through the watch along. Anything you want to know, uh, I'll be giving more prizes away. I hope uh, everybody who won a prize last time has received it. I think there's a couple of you that, that did not send me. Uh, your address, and I want to get these prizes to you, these pictures. So if uh, you won and you haven't received something, email me at primetimemooney at gmail.com, primetimemooney at gmail.com, and uh, give me your address so I can get those uh, pictures out to you. And, of course, that is the address if you have any other inquiries or, or questions, whatever, uh, primetimemooney at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter 
at Primetime Mooney. See how easy we make it for you. And we'd love to have you grab a couple of our T-shirts, our tees, and that's even easy. You just go to MooneyTees.com, MooneyTees.com. And I think we've covered it all. Once, uh, once again, I want to thank our, uh, our sponsor this week. Uh, remember Kenny Banya from uh, Seinfeld? Uh, he's our sponsor this week. Uh, not Kenny Banya, but uh, uh, Steve Heitner. He has a podcast out now, and it's called That's Gold. And you know where that comes from because he always used to say to Jerry, Jerry, that's gold. That's gold. Well, uh, he's got uh, this podcast, and he uh, co-hosts it with Rich Johnson, and they talk about everything besides nothing. Because remember, that's what Seinfeld was about. But they talk about uh, sports and sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drinks, music, Vegas, and a whole lot more. And they do it five days a week. So check out That's Gold with Steve Heitner. You can get that on uh, Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Another great episode will be on the way. So folks, stay tuned. Until then, I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out.